Welcome back to another week of the Rev MD podcast. Thanks for joining. And this week, we're going to talk about top coding mistakes. And while this may seem like they can be minor mistakes, it can lead to claim denials, reduced reimbursement, and is one of the top reasons for increasing your accounts receivable. And if you think about it, right, if the denials pile up and your AR team is having to manage all of those, it can get harder and harder to manage those. I think I've told you guys in the past, in general, denials should be less than 10%, which is based on the dollar amount of the denied claim divided by your total charges during that same period of time. So again, this week, we're going to take a look at some of those common coding pitfalls, things like errors with modifiers, downcoding, LCDs, and we'll talk about what those are and how to reduce repeat coding errors. As you guys know, we run a full-service medical billing and coding company. One of the things we've started with our own teams is having a denial tracker so that we can sit there and not only be transparent with the practices that, hey, we've had these denials, it also allows us to identify, are there denials because of prior auth, eligibility, coding mistakes, And how do we get the feedback from the office in order to address those as soon as possible, right? Because the longer it takes for you to manage the denials, and if you go really too long, you can be past timely filing, and that can be an issue of not ever being able to manage that. Of course, it's no shock to everyone that billing, surgical services, uh, and uh, practices that do a lot of procedures are going to become more and more complicated when it comes to denials, and I think the insurance companies are trying to make it harder and harder. So regardless of how experienced a physician may be, many practices can still struggle with this idea of denials. In general, you also see that there are billing changes every single year. And so that can also make it more and more complicated to understand how you should be billing for things and how you should be coding for things. I do recommend annually that everybody has a coding audit so you can understand if your practices are in line, whether you're under coding or over coding, because both of those should be addressed. We did a coding audit um, several months ago that resulted in 37% of under coding for that practice. And if you guys are thinking, shoot, I haven't done one of those in a while, please, please, please get your coding audit. We do offer certified coders if that is something you are looking for. And um, our certified coders will also sit with you afterwards and be able to explain, hey, this is why, you know, you should have coded this CPT code and this is how you can do it differently in the uh, future. So we're going to talk about five different areas where there are common mistakes um, resulting in denials. All right. First one is going to be modifiers. So obviously when you're billing a CPT code and it matches it up to an ICD-10 code, right? And that typically seems very straightforward process, but there's always some exceptions to everything. And sometimes there are related services that the physician is performing, global periods to contend with, et cetera. And modifiers actually clarify the extenuating circumstances, which should allow a payment that may otherwise not be allowed if you didn't have a modifier. Now, if there is improper use of modifiers, that can be you know, something that causes denials, just as not using a modifier at all. 
Now, when using modifiers, you have to really make sure that you understand what the modifier entails. And if the insurance company denies a claim and you rebill it by simply choosing another modifier and hoping that it's the correct one, this will usually end up creating bigger problems. Remember, insurance companies may have a time limit or that timely filing. And so if you just kind of keep adding modifiers to modifiers without knowing what you're doing, then it's going to be time that you're managing to do that. And you may run out of time in order to appeal that claim. The appeal window generally is something that when you submit the initial claim, then it kind of restarts the clock and then you have a period of time to then deal with the denial or deal with an appeal if you need to. Now, Medicare, of course, has the longest um, timely filing limit. Some insurance payers have just as short as 90 days, and even some of the really small ones have 30 days. Now, there are three specific E&M modifiers, right? The evaluation and management modifiers that go on CPT codes. And these are modifiers 24, 25, and 57. And only use these modifiers with those E&M CPT codes, right? So that's like your 99202 to your 99205 for the new patients, 99212 to 99215 for your established patients. If you append them to other services, such as a diagnostic study like an EKG or something, the carrier is going to automatically deny that claim. Now, if you guys are looking for more education on the modifier 25, We did just do an educational course around this, specifically looking at the Cigna changes that are coming uh, down, um, actually end of this month, end of May. And those are going to require documentation to be submitted up front. And so if you are looking for a deeper dive in that, I have a PowerPoint. If you go to our website, nationalrevenueconsulting.com, and go to the education tab, you'll see the Modifier 25 course that is available. As always, with any of these, your number one defense to any sort of denial is going to be the documentation within your medical chart. So if you are throwing modifiers or putting something in there that doesn't meet necessity in your medical documentation, it it may get denied or they may ask for medical records. And then that may flag you as, you know, constantly misusing modifier 25 if this is a habit that is happening in the practice and that can flag you for an audit. So you just want to be careful that you know the modifiers, you know when to use them and that your documentation supports it. Now, there's some other modifiers that cause confusion as to whether or not you should use the right or left modifier versus the 50 modifier when rendering bilateral services and incorrectly selecting the wrong modifier, again, is going to create a claim that's going to get denied. And really, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the right and left modifiers versus the 50 modifiers. The best course of action is going to look for those corrective coding ad edits, which if you go to the CMS website and you find the CPT range that you're looking for, you can look and identify the correct coding initiative edits. Those are also called the CCI edits. And those will allow you to know whether or not you need to be putting on uh, specific modifiers or not. As always, if your billing team, if you have you know, outsourced billing teams or even your insourced billing teams, um, most of them are checking for those modifiers. So that's one of those things where you can sit down with them and understand, okay, do you scrub my claim? That's what it's called. Scrubbing your claim is basically when they go in there and they look at the CPTs before they drop the claim. And then they try and determine, do you need a modifier or not? So again, modifiers are going to be one of those things you want to make sure you're getting correct the first time around. Hopefully your billers or your coders are helping you check for those before the claim is submitted. That's really best practice. So 
if you're thinking, gosh, are my billers or my coders doing that? Add that to the agenda for the next meeting that you do with them. Number two, bundling services properly. Unbundling is often seen as this like negative term implying that a base procedure is improperly broken down into its component parts, right? And it is often the case that billing each of those component parts would result in a much higher payment than billing that overall overall comprehensive code. But really a basic principle in billing is that if there is a code that incorporates the various components of a procedure into one universal code, that is the code to use regardless of reimbursement amounts. Meaning unbundling simply to obtain a higher reimbursement, it's not going to work. And it's going to be flagged, you're going to get in trouble, maybe get an audit or just get plain flat out denials. Now, there are services that can be unbundled. Codes that are simply codes, they do not necessarily reflect what the physician did and where. So two codes may very well be bundled together, but they are payable payable separately when one performs them at two different anatomical sites. So an example of this is billing an arthroplasty code and a bunion code. Bundle these together if you're not using any modifiers. Now, using the appropriate modifier will allow a bunion procedure to get paid prop- properly, as well as an arthroplasty procedure when you perform these procedures on a different digit, for example. Another example is billing for multiple individual single procedures when there is a code that describes the same procedure, but is listed as multiple. So really understanding you know, the procedures that you're doing, what can be bundled, what can un- be unbundled, and again, going back to those modifiers, what modifiers you need to drop to tell that story, right? This is all about a story. You're trying to tell the insurance company the story about what you did, and CPT codes as a standalone are not enough to tell that story. And so really important to understand, you know, the CPTs you can drop together, the CPTs that have to be, you know, bundled unless they're, you know, done, for example, it's on two different sites and you add those modifiers. So really important to understand those. Um, and a lot of professional societies also will do coding courses so that you can do that as a way for education within the practice. And we are actually partnering with a team of educators that will help do that. And so just met with them this past week and excited to offer that sometime uh, in the near future for our current clients, as well as to those who are looking for additional education. So if you are looking for kind of that education for your practice, reach out at info at nationalrevenueconsulting.com. Let me know your subspecialty and how many docs are in your practice. And uh, we will work to set up some educational webinars for your practice or record them so everybody can listen to them. Now, let's talk about the third mistake, which is downcoding. And like I said, we did an audit for a client not too long ago. They were undercoding or downcoding 37% of the time based on the charts that we looked at. Now, obviously, you know, what does that mean? That's the opposite of upcoding, right? So if you <clears throat> see a patient and documentation qualifies for a level four exam, but you bill a level three exam, then that's considered downcoding. Now, downcoding is not something you want to do, both from a revenue perspective and actually. Um, CMS and other insurance payers don't want you downcoding either. So the thought is when you downcode, you're right, you're billing that lower EM service, and some think, well, I'll just fly under the radar and nobody's gonna audit me. 
Now, many audits are based strictly on statistics. Providers who tend to be two standard deviations above or below that mean are obviously going to be flagged for an audit. So it can actually go in either direction. If you're always downcoding, which you shouldn't do anyway, right? Revenue, revenue, revenue. But if you are, then you may actually get flagged anyway, just as if you were upcoding that much more. So if you're downcoding, you're also really, what it comes down to is cheating yourself out of revenue that could be there for your practice. So really want to make sure that downcoding is not something that you or anyone in the practice is doing just to be safe, quote unquote. So lesson number four is looking at your EOBs in order to really understand your denials. So I think I told you guys we've got this tracker system that we've started with the practices because what we're seeing, especially for our higher subspecialty practices and those that do more surgical procedures, they may have a list of denials and the denials may be eligibility, prior auth, coding, coordination of benefits, like those are common reasons for denials. But if you're not tracking and trending those, it's easier to go, oh, I think we had a denial on eligibility this week, or I think that that's an issue. But if you're counting them, right, if you're tracking them, then over a period of several weeks, you can look back and go, oh, I had 20% of my denials related to prior authorizations. I obviously need to meet with that team. We recently did this with one of our clients and they recognized that they were not dropping, they were not getting the modifiers for enough of the CPT codes. Um, They weren't doing it for their HMOs. And so changing that process decreased their denials, gets them paid quicker because they got prior auths. And so when you... Look at your EOBs or your ERAs that give you the reason for the denial. And most PM softwares will, you can pull a report weekly. I will say we've got one client and their software does not pull it. And it's just extremely frustrating. And, you know, our next week, we're going to talk about EMRs and PM softwares and like the headaches that those can cause if they don't have the right features for you. Denial report to one of those. You need a good denial report. So I highly recommend looking at these EOBs, looking at the ERAs, however you're getting that information back to your team, pulling that denial report and looking that over so that you understand why you are getting denials and then help address those. And then last, remember when I said LCDs? If you guys don't know what that stands for, it's called Local Coverage Determination Policies. And these are you know, something that insurance carriers put in place either because the carrier believes there's sufficient confusion around it or there's an abusive billing practice that they see. And this serves as a program to safeguard measures, basically allowing them to set ICD-10 codes that are going to be medically necessary for certain CPT codes. So again, an LCD will clearly list which ICD-10 codes are payable for a specific CPT code. And these are extremely important. So if you're getting denials for quote-unquote medical necessity, it may be because you are dropping ICD-10 codes that are either unspecified, that's a big one, or they're not part of these ICD-10 codes that are considered medically necessary based on these local coverage determination policies that the payers put out. Even with a recent switch to ICD-10, which was some years now, they have had significantly increased number of codes available, and there is no ICD-10 code for every possible scenario. Many ICD-10 codes will overlap with one another, and so you have to choose between two similar codes. However, 
Only one of those codes may be on the LCD LCD guidelines. And so you need to know which one to choose. And maybe both are clinically correct, but you need to make sure that you're dropping the right ones. And so you'll get a, you know, medical uh, denial that will reference to LCD. Now, some PM softwares will actually flag the claim before it even goes out and say, hey, this ICD-10 code does not meet medical necessity for the LCD policy, say for Medicare. And then they will flag it so that you can correct it up front. And this is why it's really important to have some forethought around what ICD-10 codes you're going to drop per CPT code. And you can actually download the LCD guidelines for Medicare uh, online. You can go and search a CPT code and it'll show you all the ICD-10s that are um, available or qualified as medical nece- medically necessary for that CPT code. So this is a really important thing for you or your team to know, and and I will qualify, most billing companies are not changing these. So, so whatever CPT codes you're handing your billing team, they're going to be using those with the ICD-10 codes that you give them. Now, we will work with practices depending on the structure that we set up. You know, if there are ICD-10 codes that are clearly not meeting the LCD guidelines, we will go back and work with them and say, hey, this was flagged. Just so you know, I need a new ICD-10 code. Uh, depending again on the setup of the practice, we may also review the clinical notes to see if we can find something that is easily documented and clearly documented as a reason for the uh, CPT and ICD-10 code to not match and another ICD-10 code that will match. So again, we'll do that review. We'll double check and see, you know, gosh, can we find something or do we need to alert the doctor or put something again in that kind of tracker back and forth between the practice to say, hey, we've got something that's an an issue here. Let's get this corrected before we even submit the claim. I mean, that's the best case scenario is that you have a way of catching them. And again, like I said, you've got some PM softwares that will do this for you. All right. So we talked about five things today, right? So modifiers, we talked about unbundling. We talked about downcoding. We talked about learning from your denials through your EOBs and ERAs. And then we talked about local coverage determination policies and then where you can go to understand if an ICD-10 code is going to meet medical necessity for a certain CPT code. So important things. And in conclusion, right, things are going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen. Denials are normal. So, you know, certainly don't ever strive for zero, you know, denials, just not going to happen. Now, some may be random mistakes, some may be a process issue like eligibility and prior auths, and then some may be something that we really need to re-educate the physicians on or we need to set up a different process to really make sure that we're addressing those ahead of time. So again, denials will happen, but we want to try and avoid them as much as possible. And if you have any questions or if you are wondering about your own denials, meet with your team. If you feel like your team's not meeting the needs of your practice, we would be glad to help uh, reach out at info at nationalrevenueconsulting.com or head over to our website, National Revenue Consulting. And the other thing I'll mention is we do have a full course on the Modifier 25. Again, this really dives into the details around the Cigna change that's coming. So if you head over there, uh, we will uh, go to our website at nationalrevenueconsulting.com and go to the education tab and you can see the Modifier 25 course. All right, you guys have a great day. 